The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Welcome, everybody. I'm so glad you could tune in and join me today, wherever you are. I'm here every Wednesday broadcasting live, 1 Pacific, 3 Central, and 4 Eastern. And you can also catch the show uh, later on when we post it for podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, all of the usual suspects. So however you're listening to me, whether it's live or podcast, I'm really glad that you could tune in. I know, I'm, I'm like the... Uh, the rebel dinosaur doing live radio, but I still love it because I get to have amazing conversations with incredible people. So we're all doing the best we can, right? You know, coping in this new normal, working from home, self-distancing, coming up with new ways to stay connected. It's It's been crazy, right? Well, you can imagine this whole time here has been even tougher for people that are trying to stay sober. And according to a recent Washington Post article, off-premises booze sales have surged 55% in March. So people are out there, they're turning to alcohol to deal with stress and anxiety and grief brought on by this whole crazy situation that we're in. 55%, you know, that's a lot of people that are sitting home and drinking and, and isolating themselves. So, you know, we've seen that it's become a thing, right? I mean, we've seen the memes, quarantinis are now a thing. Is that crazy? We've also seen Zoom happy hours. You know, people are really using alcohol to, to try to cope. And alcohol use among women is more than doubled from 2002 to 2013. And this is according to the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. So there's a lot of drinking going on out there and a lot of people just trying to cope and, and dealing with what's going on. So we're going to delve into that today. You know, how how are we coping? Is there a way to do this? You know, alcohol may not really be the answer for a lot of people. Um, you know, a lot of people having a problem with it. So we're going to we're going to talk about that today and get a story um, from someone that I found this person just kind of randomly online. Her publicist had sent me her information. Her name's Emily Lynn Paulson. And I was really intrigued. I, I thought, you know, there are a lot of women, especially that are dealing with alcohol, using alcohol as a crutch during this time. How, you know, how is that working? So I wanted to talk to her. And Emily Lynn Paulson is very familiar with the path to recovery. She's the author of Highlight Real, Finding Honesty and Recovery Beyond the Filtered Life. This is a great book. I mean, I finished this in one sitting yesterday. Just once I got into it, I got into it. I just started reading it and I couldn't stop reading it. So Emily shares her story very honestly in this book. And she noticed a disconnect of virtual support groups for moms. She saw groups for women, alcohol-free lifestyles and 12-step programs, but really no community for mothers. So she teamed up with fellow sober mom influencers and formed the Sober Mom Squad. And in just one week, they got 600 moms signing up. So definitely this is touching people. This is really striking a chord in a lot of women out there, this issue of of alcohol and, and especially the 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 special problems that moms are dealing with like it's a whole it's a whole thing it's a whole certain set of circumstances that moms are dealing with so emily has jumped into help she reaches people with her instagram page you can find her on there she has over 37,000 followers so she's definitely an influencer and she lives in seattle with her husband and five children so she knows about the the special challenges and the special things that moms face and we're going to hear her story today so emily i'm really happy that you could join the show to talk about this yeah thanks for inviting me on well like i said i finished your book last night i mean i zipped through it and i really enjoyed your honesty and your willingness to share your life story and i was struck by the title you know i thought that was interesting it's highlight real r-e-a-l and if people don't know what a highlight reel is, you know, on social media, it's described as sharing the best moments of your life and leaving out the rest, right? We, all, we only want to see the good stuff. We're leaving out the rest. 
And you titled your book Highlight Real, R-E-A-L, in kind of a, a twist on that, meaning you're pulling back the curtain and telling the truth. And this was really the theme throughout the book of finally being honest and looking at your life, disasters and all. And I, I really like that approach. You know, how important do you feel that it is to face the truth and tell the truth? I mean, this was a whole process that you described in the book, but it's really important to you, isn't it? Very, very important. And and I think ultimately the honesty piece came down to control, um, really controlling the narrative of what people think of you, of how people see you. And that really connects to social media. And like you said, we show all the good things, but we don't show what ends up on the cutting room floor. And so for me, I knew that I had lived a life where being dishonest did not serve me. And so I started this process of just brutal honesty, no matter the circumstances, no matter the cost. And that has been, uh, you know, the biggest part of my recovery path. Yeah, you really describe that in the book, just the whole process of going through that. And and I thought what you shared about your childhood was really interesting. And uh, specifically because I have a, a family member that really has a problem with lying. And this was something that you, you know, you kind of dealt with or, or you started using that as a crutch early on. And then you can see throughout the book as it becomes kind of a bigger and bigger and bigger problem you know, throughout your life. So I, I really commend your honesty and kind of, you know, busting that open and, and facing the truth of what was going on in your life. And there's so much to unpack. I don't know if we can get through everything in the whole book, you know, in just the time that we have on the show here, um, because your your experience is really so, so deep. But you use your experience um, to reach out, you know, to help other people. And you're also a certified recovery coach. And I wanted to ask you about that. I was curious about the role of a recovery coach. I've never really heard of, of that. I mean, I've heard of people that you would hire, like celebrities have someone, if they're trying to stay sober, they have a person that kind of hangs out with them to keep them from, from going off the rails. It, but that's not really what a recovery coach is, is it? Yeah. So recovery coaching, it has less of a stigma than seeing a psychotherapist for mental health issues or walking into an AA room. So similar to therapists, recovery coaches invest in training and education. Um, you know, they complete hours of training in the field, but unlike a therapist, they don't you know, don't diagnose or work through trauma or focus on the past. Recovery coaching is really future focused. It's basically life coaching with an alcohol track. And so I help, um, I work with mostly women, mostly moms. Um, you know, I help them identify and create a plan to reach goals um, in sobriety and remove barriers, you know, look at blind spots maybe they don't see. Um, but it also can coincide with other resources. Some of my clients are in AA, some of them are in an outpatient program. Um, so it can be done concurrently with any other recovery program or therapy. That's interesting. And people can find you through your site if they're interested in working with you. So you do take clients and and work with yep. them. As a, so really, your recovery coach, you wouldn't necessarily need the schooling of a, of a therapist. Yeah, it's a different, um, it's, it's a life coaching path as opposed to a therapy, psychotherapy path. And again, we don't go into um, past trauma. I definitely refer to therapists. You know, if I do work with someone and, and we get to a kind of a stumbling block where there's something that they just can't get past that they need to, you know, go back in their own history, um, I will refer to, to therapists to work through that. Um, so it can be something can, that can be done at the same time if you're going through therapy um, or if you, again, if you're in a treatment program of any kind. Right, right. So I was looking at over your site and, and after reading the book and it on your site, it, it talks about you're on a mission to raise awareness of what you call the drinking mom culture. And mm -hmm. I think that people aren't really aware of of what that is and what's really going on. And I mean, I don't, I don't have kids personally, but my, my sister does, you know, I have a nephew. And so I, I hear from her, you know, a lot of her experience and what goes on with the moms and, you know, it's kind of commonplace to have the cooler, you know, full of uh, spritzers or whatever, you know, that you're drinking to get you through the baseball game or the soccer game or that kind of thing. And there's really kind of a, 
like an, an, an underbelly, I guess, or like a, a club of where these of moms that are dealing with the particular challenges of motherhood are leaning on alcohol to get through it. And I was just hoping mm-hmm. you could explain a little bit about that, the drinking mom culture, because I don't think people would would think that that really exists. Sure. So it's it, I kind of relate it to, you know, when when kids drink as teenagers, it's obviously you're doing something wrong, but but you fit in with the other kids who are drinking, too. And when you're in college and you're binge drinking, like, obviously, that's not healthy, but you kind of fit in with the other kids, too, and the other, you know, binge drinking college kids. Right. And now we have this new culture with moms where I don't think 10 years ago it would have been smiled upon to have a bottle of wine at a 10 a.m. play date. But when it's paired with motherhood, somehow you get a free pass. And and everything is, you know, these funny jokes about, you know, pumping and dumping and, you know, I whine because my kids whine and, you know, mommy fuel, mommy juice. It, it just has become its own funny joke. And I think it because we've made it such a joke, it's it's normalized it to a sense where it's just what we do. And you can see the marketing around alcohol, you know, pink cans of, of sparkly rosé, um, things that are very um, feminine and attractive to women. And they're, you know, at the checkout aisle of, of the local drugstore. So it makes it seem so benign. It makes it seem like just a normal day drink. I mean, there's even wine called day drinking wine. Um, and so it, it's just made it a culture where drinking at any time of the day is okay and drinking because your mom is just required. And and I think it's just been so ingrained in motherhood now that we don't even see it. And I certainly didn't see it. I was the first person buying those funny t-shirts and mugs um, because I just got kind of sucked right into it. Right. It's so interesting when I thought about that, and especially now with what we're dealing with with COVID and you know, people are making a joke about it that, you know, yeah, I'm jumping on the Zoom call, you know, let's all have some cocktails and have, have Zoom happy hours. And I've participated in a couple of those. And, and that, you know, it's fun. And you have interaction with, with other people. But you're right about the marketing. You're so right. And the memes that I'm seeing popping up and the T-shirts and, and how it's supposed to be all fun and games. But it it gets to a point where it really isn't. And when it when it crosses that line and gets to that point where it's really affecting your life and your ability to parent, you know, things can get really crazy and you can put yourself in danger, your kids in danger, your your friends, kids, you know, whatever situation you may be in could really turn tragic when you just keep dumping alcohol over it. And I, I think it's right. great you're bringing this this to light. And so let's talk a little about a little bit about that. You know, some of the unique challenges that moms face when they're dealing with alcohol. I mean, you you know, you've heard I've heard some of the the stories where you know a child may be at a pool party or something, and there's been tragic events where you know kids drown or something like that. I mean, anything can happen in one split second when you're not paying mm-hmm. attention, when you're distracted with, with alcohol. Now yeah, I'm sure and- you've heard all those too from clients. Right, right. And I think um, right now, <laughs> the reason it's it's really hitting home is because maybe moms who did have a glass of wine every night, um, or maybe who did go to happy hours and think they were just social drinkers, now that they're home with their kids 24-7, trying to work and teach, uh, you know, homeschool and do all the things, they're realizing, oh, no, I wasn't a social drinker, or, oh, no, I wasn't just a glass of wine. Now I'm finding myself needing more. And heck, every all day is five o'clock, because it doesn't matter what time of day it is. Is it the weekend? What day is it? And and so we're kind of in this place where there are no boundaries, there's no routine. And, and we do find ourselves in this weird place where we're trying to stay healthy. So we're staying at home. But by staying at home, we're really amping up our, our unhealthy habits. Right. And especially with kids and you have five, which is amazing. Yes. <laughs> and I love how you explain um, on your website that people ask you, you know, Oh, it must be a blended family or, Oh, did you adopt kids? And you're like, no, no, that's not it. We, <laughs> it, just, it just happened that way, you know, which is great. Yeah. Those things do happen. But I mean, with five kids, you know, it's so much that you've got to keep track of and juggle and, you know, and right, especially now with being, you know, stuck at home, 
and you're homeschooling, you're trying to get used to a new way of doing things. And what wasn't a problem can easily become a problem very quickly, right? With those kind of pressures. Exactly. When, when you don't have to get up and drive, when you don't have to take your kids to practice on the weekends, when you don't have to, you know, long laundry list of things no, we no longer have to do. And also, you know, you're, you're at home, you're not feeling social. And if that's your social connection, usually if you're used to sitting down with friends and having a drink, well, of course you're going to get us on a zoom call and have a drink. But I think the exposure to kids now, kids are around so much more drinking that maybe they weren't around before. Maybe that moms um, were drinking out of the house. And I do like to say too, like, I'm not singling out moms. I just am a mom. You know, dads, it's the same thing with dads. Like dads, you know, are under the same rules we are, but I'm a mom and that's what I can speak to. And that's what I've been trapped in. But it's, you know, parents in general, I think kids are witnessing so much more alcohol use than they were before, simply because we are in this quarantine. Right. And just the fact that things are are kind of being normalized, I guess, but mm-hmm. the spotlight's being shown, and and with and with the kids there, it's it's a special, uh, it's a special kind of pressure. You know, it's a it's a different kind of kind of thing. I mean, just talk. My sister is a an assistant principal at a school in in Florida, and just the frustrations that I'm hearing from her talking to moms and dealing with parents about this new normal. You know, you you throw that situation in where they're trying to deal with the computer program for school and, and fighting with their kids. And, and they're not teachers, these, these parents, mm-hmm. but now they're having to do that. And that extra pressure is just, is really too much. Why do you think that a lot of the times it's not taken seriously or as seriously as it should be when, when talking about moms and, and women and drinking? Well, I think for one thing, you know, alcohol companies pay a lot of money to make sure that, we keep buying alcohol. And so if ads are produced and again, cans and bottles are made pink and pretty, and it's made to look more benign than it is, um, we really have no reason to think otherwise. And I also think that the, the dangers of alcohol, the dangers of, you know, drinking every day, the dangers of, you know, whatever that's related to alcohol is just not talked about as much because people don't want to know how bad it is for them. And I, I think you can see people give up dairy, they give up gluten, oh, I'm going to try, you know, giving up parabens or, or whatever, but they'll still drink. And, and so it's like the one thing that that's really hard for people to let go of. And, and that's really the nature of alcohol is that, you know, it's an addictive substance. At the end of the day, it, it is a drug, whether you want to think so or not, like it's, an, it's a legal drug. You have every right to use it if you want to, but let's be honest and, and have some actual conversations about what it does to you and what it does to your body and that anybody can become addicted to it if they use it often enough and long enough. And I think this situation is the perfect example where people are home, they're around it more, their pressure is higher and they're finding at the end of the day, you know, it's the self-medication. Right. And I think as we're coming out of this, you know, things are starting to open up a little bit across the country that there's going to be a lot of women maybe taking a look at, at what's going on in their life and saying, well, drinking is starting to become a problem. This is affecting my life every day. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's causing a problem. So like coming out of this, there's going to be a lot of women maybe taking a look, well, a lot of people too, not just, not just women, of course, but people that are looking at, well, you know, maybe I've been leaning on this crutch a little too hard and I need to take a look at it. I need to take a look at what it's doing to my body and what it's doing to my behavior and affecting the people around me. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, coming out, you know, the next few months by the, at the end of this year, you know, people, people around you, what's going on with that. So in your book, which I really recommend people read, it's, it's a great read, Highlight Reel. Um, you know, you talk about your journey and how you got sober, you know, which I mean, what took, took a while and there was a lot of, of challenges and hurdles that you went through. I mean, do you continue to attend AA meetings today? I do. Yes, I do. And do you think that the current AA model does it really address the specific issues that women may face? Do you think that it's lacking for women or do you feel that they do a pretty good job? 
you know, I, I will say, and, and I'll always say, you know, AA saved my life, like walking in the doors of AA saved my life. And, and that's always what I start with. However, you know, like anything, nothing's perfect. And, and I do think, you know, for me, I've only ever gone to AA women's meetings um, because that's how, where I'm most comfortable. And I have had experiences in mixed meetings um, that, that didn't make me comfortable to share. And that's really why I, that's why I go to share, to feel camaraderie. Um, and so for me that, you know, that's, that's how it works best for me. And, and I also think part of AA, um, you know, I love the camaraderie of it, but part of the philosophy of it you know, can really take your power away. Um, because at the end of the day, we, we don't really know what alcoholism is. We don't really know. There's not a blood test, right? You can't go to the doctor and say, am I an alcoholic or not? You know, they can't tell you. Um, there's lots of genetic components. There's a lot of behavioral components. There's so many components to it that if you tell somebody, you know, go in this room and you have to sit in this room every Monday night, or you are going to fail, um, I think that does a lot of people a disservice. And I think even the term alcoholic um, does a lot of people a disservice too, because that isn't, in my opinion, that that's not the right question. Because there are people who are in that very gray area. They're drinking just enough to make their life kind of suck, but they're not like at rock bottom, but their life's not as good as it could be. So a more important question is, gosh, is my life as good as it could be? You know, not, am I a drunk? Am I an alcoholic? Am I, do I need to be in these rooms? Um, so I, I think that's kind of a non-answer answer, but you know, I, I always tout the benefits of AA, but with the caveat that it is not for everybody. And um, I think it can be used co concurrently with other things. I think that it can, I think can, people can get sober without it, um, but it's worked for a lot of people. So one thing I will say about this this quarantine um, is that it has helped AA shift gears really well, and they've done a great job, and it's it's filled a need, I think, that was there for a really long time, because those doors to AA are the heaviest doors when you really need to go to a meeting, and you want to walk in, and you're afraid of who you're going to see. It's very intimidating. So these virtual meetings, these Zoom meetings, I've talked to more people who've said, gosh, I've never been to AA before until this, this quarantine. Um, so I do think it's exposed a need. And I think that will make a, a better program um, altogether by, by now having this in place so, so that we can reach more people at home who, who are afraid to walk in those doors. Right. I'm so glad you mentioned that. And it makes me think because I have a, a really good girlfriend that I've known since high school, and she's one of those people that you just described that, you know, when we were younger and, and hanging out in our in our teens and our 20s, you know, everybody was drinking and then everyone else kind of grew up, but she kind of stayed at that same mm -hmm. at that same level. And it's kind of a maintenance drinker today. Um, she still lives in my in my home state of Florida. I'm here in California. So we talk a lot. And I know when I get those calls at a certain time of day, that chances are she's going to be in the bag. And I can only take maybe 30 minutes of a phone call with her, but I try to be available. And But she's one of those people that's at that level that is still able to function and do her thing, but her life isn't as good as it could be. And I've talked to her about going to meetings and things like that. And she'll, she'll talk about it and recognize what she calls problematic, but won't take that step and walk through a door. And maybe you're right that this new normal that we're in will open things up for people to address what's going on in their lives and, and take that step. And I like what you're saying about recovery being individual for people, because I've spoken to a lot of people in recovery. I think, look, if addiction hasn't touched your life, it will. You know, if you're not mm -hmm. dealing with an addiction, chances are, you know, someone close to you who is, whether it's a family member or a friend. And I think that's across the board, like with, with everybody I know. I mean, addic addic addiction <laughs> has certainly touched my life um, in many ways. And I do think it is it is very individual and the AA model, that, that's why I wanted to ask you that question that the AA model, I think sometimes there's things that lack with people. And one of the big things I think is that power piece, you know, not wanting to turn your life over to a power higher than yourself or a God, you know, the God question. Mm -hmm. And that does kind of, kind of throw people off. 
So, yeah, I mean, I, I was curious what you think about that. And I know I've read a lot of articles about AA kind of looking at their their model, which is what, like 40 or 50 years old? The oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it just makes sense to, you know, to rework things as, and, you know, grow with the times and the more we right. know and the more we learn. Right, right. And you've, I know you've said on your website that there's no way that you will drink again. Like you're, you're not going to pick up another drink. Oh, no or, way. Or drug no way. Or any, and anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think knowing what I know now, you know, living sober now, <laughs> I know how much better my connection is with my kids. I know how much better life is without it. So I have that knowledge. And I've also really learned a lot about what alcohol was doing to my body physically, mentally, emotionally. And it just looks as appetizing as, you know, anything disgusting, right? <laughs> like once you learn, it's like learning what's in a hot dog and never being able to eat a hot dog again. It, it's, that's what it is to me. I look at it and it's there and it, and I have no emotion tied to it. I have no cravings tied to it. And that truly is a miracle. And again, I do attribute some of that to AA. I attribute it to the education I've learned. There's, there's so many different reasons I have these beliefs, but you know, my, my brain has been changed about, about it. And I used to have so much mental space taken up by when is my next drink? Am I drinking too much? Was that too much? What did I say? What did I do? Where did I go? Um, I mean, it's just, my life is too good now to ever even entertain the idea. Right. Right. That's amazing. We're going to take a short break. And if you feel so inclined to join the conversation, if you'd like to give us a call and ask Emily a question, 816-251-3555. We are live here on the air. I'm Diane Ray. We'll take a short break. A couple minutes. We'll be right back with Emily Paulson talking about the Sober Mom Squad and a lot more. Thanks for listening. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Be Present, the Diane Ray Show. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining me after the break. I'm talking with Emily Lynn Paulson, and she's an author and recovery coach and a member of the Sober Mom Squad. And her book, Highlight Real, Finding Honesty and Recovery Beyond the Filtered Life, is such a great read. I really hope that you pick this up. And Emily, I wanted you to give the link for Sober Mom Squad. If there's any women out there that are interested, if they'd like to get in touch with you, what's the best way to find you? Yeah, actually, my website has a link, um, just highlightreallife.com, and that's R-E-A-L, and there's a link to uh, virtual meetups right on my website. And people can just uh, jump on there. How many women come on for each call? Do you do it a couple of times a week? or? You know, we do it, right now we're doing it just Wednesday afternoons, um, and we have anywhere between, you know, 40 to 80 people um, on at a time. Uh, but, and, you know, as we kind of transition back to normal ish life, um, we'll, we'll probably, you know, change up the meeting times, but we're, we're kind of going week by week. You can see filling so, the needs that, that women have right now. Yeah. Yeah. And the need is out there. It, it's great, especially right now. So in the book, you talk about relationships and the relationship with your husband, who, who sounds like an amazing guy. And you've been married, what, over 15 years now? Yeah, almost 16. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> that's, Thank that's you. Great. <laughs> that's great. Um, so just in talking about relationships and with alcohol. And, and I think the challenge for many people in recovery and many women is that they become their partner's party person, you know, or drinking companion. And it, and it goes, it kind of goes together, right? Creating this, this codependent thing. And when and then you've got kind of two addictive behaviors, the relationship as, as well as the alcohol. And how did you navigate that? The you know, within your own relationship, because you said when you first met your husband, I mean, you were young, right? You're in your 20s. Mm -hmm. So you both mm -hmm. kind of, you know, partied together, right? In the beginning. How, how has that played out now over the years? Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, and a lot of people I've talked to who 
um, have a substance use disorder and have a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever who is a quote unquote normal drinker, um, you know, this pattern kind of emerges where, you know, I was the fun girl, right? Like, oh, your wife's so fun. She's this party girl. And and so you kind of take on that uh, that personality. And and as I got older and more kids came along, I mean, it just gets more difficult to keep that up. And when you are when you've ingrained alcohol or any kind of substance as part of your relationship, you really have to do a lot of like rekindling. And um, there's a lot of honesty there. There's a, a lot of you have to try new things together that that don't involve substances. So for me, you know, being being upfront with with my husband was was key. And and it's funny how you can be super supportive, but also super enabling without realizing it. And, you know, my husband obviously could see that I drank a lot, but he also could see that I could stop. And so he had a lot of the false beliefs that I did that, well, if I can quit for a while, I must not have a problem, even though this has happened and this has happened and this has happened. Um, he kind of just assumed, oh, I must just like to drink a lot when I drink, but I can quit and it's fine. And so once I made the decision that I could not drink anymore, you know, he was very supportive, but there's, there's just a lot of giving grace. Um, I had to give grace to him for not really understanding how he's supposed to behave. Like, am I supposed to drink in front of you? Am I not? Should I have it out of the house? Should I stop drinking too? And so it just all came down to being honest with each other, um, finding new things to do that don't involve drinking, which actually can be kind of hard to do because I feel like everything involves drinking <laughs> these days, right. but you can find a lot of, you can find a lot of things. Um, and you know, we, we leaned into marriage counseling. I'm, I'm a big believer in, in therapy and, um, you know, that marriage counseling shouldn't just be when you're at the brink, it should be something that you do, like going to the doctor to keep your marriage healthy. Um, so opening the lines of communication are really important. And a lot of people are surprised who, who don't already know me that, that my husband drinks, you know, he's not, um, he, he can have a beer maybe once a week or something. Um, and, and that's very individual to relationships. Um, some people can't have it in the house. Some people can. And so it, it really comes down to just communicating with your partner and, and being honest from, from the get-go. Because it can be a shock to a partner who is, is used to someone who's been drinking for 10 years. Right. And some relationships will not survive that. And, and that may be the case. You, you know, yeah. Maybe you would have to you know, yeah. separate if that's the case. Yeah, it's true. And, and you know, I've worked with women who, who actually most women who are married and decide to give up drinking, that's, that's usually a concern is what if my marriage implodes? What if my marriage doesn't survive this? And usually what I say is, well, that's one possibility. That's one of the million possibilities here. I mean, yes, your relationship could implode and you can get divorced. Okay. However, it could also be really great and you guys could really connect and anything in between. But ultimately, you can't control that part of it. If you know that alcohol is an issue and you want to tackle that, you kind of have to lean into it. And, and what I've seen and um, from other women who, who maybe the marriage does go by the wayside is that the drinking was kind of a, a solution to a problem that was already there. So maybe the relationship with, there was already difficult points there and the drinking was just another, another pain point um, that actually quitting drinking doesn't destroy the marriage. It was the issue that was already there that was kind of covered up by, by this drinking. Right. And then your eyes were clear, you know, at that point you could, you could really see what the issues were. And it all kind of circles back to the theme in the book of, of radical honesty, really being honest to yourself or honest with yourself, you know, what's going on. And when you really get quiet and, and deep and ask yourself those questions, you really know, like if anyone's listening to this, and they're thinking that they might have an issue with alcohol that they need to address. They, they probably do. You know, you, mm -hmm. you, I think you really have that knowing, but people just cover it up. And in your book, which goes over, you know, many years in your life, you describe the self-destructive behavior that you engaged in to cover up truths that had happened to you of horrible experiences that you had, which were trauma, traumatic. And I was hoping you could share what you learned about dealing with trauma and the dangers of trying to ignore it or push it away because it'll pop back up, right? Like that beach ball, you know, if you try to push it under the water. 
Mm-hmm. Things, things seem yeah. they'll, they'll come back up. They'll resurface. Yeah. Yeah. And that saying, you know, you're only as sick as your secrets um, really is true. I kind of had this theme of thinking I had gotten over things or thinking I had dealt with things myself, but me dealing it with it was just not talking about it and pretending it didn't happen. And, and when you're used to, again, I, I kind of created this reality where I would ignore things or lie about them or cover them up. And when you create this place where you are numbing things down, you're pushing things down, well, then all of a sudden when I found alcohol, the ultimate numbing solution, you know, I really alcohol was my solution to problems. And then you just create another problem to cover up another problem. And then that drinking would lead to another problem, like a problem in a relationship. And that relationship would create another problem. And so it, it wasn't until really, again, I went to AA, started the work of getting sober and everything I have to peel the onion. It's like one layer. Okay. I stopped drinking. Well, why did I drink? Okay. So I drank because I was anxious and I had, you know, trauma. Well, what was the trauma? Okay. Let's go back and deal with that. Let's go to a therapist and deal with that. And it all came down to the way I behaved when I was a child and not dealing with this trauma I had as a child. And then everything that came after that, having to tackle all of those traumas, you know, almost, you know, over 20 years later. Right. They wouldn't just go away it, mm-hmm. as hard as you tried. You still had to be truthful and, and deal with some of the events that happened uh, when you were a kid. And I want people to read the book. So I don't want to give away everything, <laughs> everything that's yeah. in the, in the book, because I think people can really get a lot from, from reading your story, you know, and, and what you went through. So also you described in the book, self-love and self-worth, as a really big part of the recovery process. And you say throughout the book that you felt kind of like a fake, you know, that people would find out the real you, you know, that you really felt unworthy and unlovable. And these kind of feelings are just, are so damaging. I mean, when you, when you work with women, how do you make that shift? Because it's hard to, it's hard to just say, oh, I love, I love myself. You know, it it takes, and it really takes time to develop that self-love. Yeah. And I think that one thing that can be really damaging is that false positivity, right? Like if you, if you look in the mirror and think, oh, I'm so fat, you can't just say, no, I'm not fat and believe it. Like you have to actually believe what you're saying. So one thing I I work with, with women is just developing things that are still true that they can actually believe like, okay, if you look in the mirror and think I'm fat, how about I have fat? Like I have that. Okay. Yes, that's true. Yes. I believe that. Yes. I have no emotion attached to that. Like it's just something I have on my body, like a heart and lungs and bones and, and kind of changing those thoughts in your brain so that those become more automatic. And rather than, you know, thinking, gosh, I, I suck at math. I, you know, I can't do math rather think like, well, I can learn math. <laughs> I don't know much math. So that means I, I have a whole lot I can learn. So things that are still true, but but less negative, if that makes sense, rather than just turn it around to saying, oh, yeah, I love myself. Oh, I'm beautiful. Oh, I, I, you know, when, when that's not true, that can really, that can be hard to digest. And so I really start slowly with women just at the, at the root of their issue. And again, generally it's alcohol and, you know, well, alcohol makes me fun. I'm not fun without it. Okay. Well, let's, let's unpack that a little bit because, you know, I bet there's times you've been fun when you haven't been drinking. Okay. Yes. Yes, there have. And, and kind of going back through that to, to reframe those, those beliefs, those, those core beliefs we have about ourselves to make them less damaging, to make them less bad. And then we can eventually go to that place where you look in the mirror and you're like, that's me. That's who I am. I I accept that person. I can love that person. Um, But it's not as quick as just saying, I hate myself. And now I love myself. It is a process. Right, right. I, I love what you're saying because I think people fall into that that path of, okay, well, I give up, you know, I, I'm trying to love myself and I, I just don't love myself, <laughs> you know, but because you can't make that shift so quickly. I, I totally understand what you're saying, you know, and making it kind of bite-sized pieces of, okay, I can, I can understand that. Let me take it, let me take it a step further. Um, like the person I was de- describing to you, um, my friend where she said that she's never been on a date without alcohol and she doesn't think that you can go out anywhere or have fun. Actually, one time we were going to meet when I came home to visit 
and she didn't want to go to this particular restaurant if she couldn't drink because that there was in her mind there was no way to have fun without drinking and just what you're saying to reframe that to take make those shifts of well i can have fun without it you know i can be mm-hmm. i can be a better person or no i'm i'm not so fat i do have fat but yeah mm-hmm. acknowledging what what is true to where you can take those little steps to believe it but it's a process right i mean it took you uh, a long time to really to really get to that place Oh, yeah. And it's also not something that, oh, I love myself now and I never have to do the work again. It's a daily, daily thing. You know, I have to, uh, you know, I meditate, but I'm not a person where this comes naturally to me. I make myself do it every day because I know that it decreases my anxiety. Like I know the outcome of it, but I don't wake up in this like Zen state, just so excited to meditate. You know, everything is, is, is a process. And and so that's what I, I like to tell people too, is, is it's not like you get to this place and then you're done. You have to continue to do this work on yourself. And I keep a gratitude journal. I do all the things that I try and help other women do because it works and I have to keep doing the work on myself every day. And it's easy to go to that place where you, you only see the negative, you see the difficult things, especially right now when you're in this pandemic. Um, if, if, you, if you can't ground yourself with even the smallest bit of, of positivity, of joy, of happiness, of gratitude, then it, it's really easy to, to spiral to a really negative place. Right. That's so true. And, and like you were saying now is we've never experienced anything like this in at least in, in my lifetime, <laughs> you know, these are, um, this is unprecedented, the things that we're dealing with. And so, you know, finding other ways to cope and learning meditation, you know, maybe trying that or, you know, picking up yoga or, you know, something else you can do. Gratitude journals are great. I, I love those. And, and also just realizing that we're always changing and transforming, right? I mean, the, the person you are now isn't who you were 10 years ago or 10 years before that. And you'll probably be someone a little different in the next 10 years as other life experiences come in and, and things shift and change. And I guess being, being resilient to, to change and being open to that is is probably a big piece as well, because I know a lot of people that hate any kind of change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I they think... They just wanted to stay the same. Yeah, I mean, I don't like this change. I mean, I never wanted to homeschool my kids. My kids don't want me to be their teacher. You know, it, it some things just are. And, and I think that's one thing, too, that if you're looking to be happy all the time or things to be good all the time, I mean, there's a reason that we have a range of emotions and there's a reason that life is the way it is because it wouldn't be natural to be happy all the time. You have to experience all the other things. And sometimes it's OK to just acknowledge like eh, today's just kind of a blah day. Yeah, it's OK. Like you don't have to make every day this super happy, positive, you know, wonderful moment sometimes it just is a lot of life is just kind of there and and that's okay. Just acknowledging that you don't, again, it goes back to that comparison. Um, and, and I will say that, you know, related to like the Instagram comparison trap, I will say right now it's, it has been sort of this weird equalization (laughs) where, no one's looking at anyone else's vacation pictures right now. You know, yeah, we're not all on the same boat. Some people have lost jobs. Some people have it really rough. Some people have lost, you know, are sick. And, you know, some people are, are struggling financially and some people aren't. But nobody's comparing comparing their uh, Disneyland and Hawaii photos. Nobody is looking at other people saying, oh, gosh, they're doing all this fun stuff and I'm at home and it sucks. Everybody is in that same weird like equalization. And, and so I think, I think maybe that's been good for humanity a little bit to, to remove that layer of comparison for everybody. Right. That's so true. That's an interesting way to look at it. I, I never thought about that, but yeah, everybody, although we may be in the, we're, I, I read something, see if I can get this right. We're all in the same storm, maybe not in the same boat. You know, people are experiencing things differently. And it, and it is, it's a new normal, but you're right. Like it's not 
the the competition of you know where did you go on vacation and and that kind of thing it's mm -hmm. it, it's a little bit different um but this whole social media thing which i think has been so interesting so, i mean because I, I remember growing up with slam books and things like that you know we didn't have the pressures of although that was pretty awful now that i think about it we didn't have the pressures of social media that that kids do now and the the urge to have to compete and that kind of thing. I mean, do you do you really talk to people on that on that level of, you know, that that's not real and you know, don't believe it? Oh yeah, and perfection. in fact that's how I started that's how I started sharing my story, honestly. I I started talking about, "Hey, here was this picture I posted. This great picture. I'm in this dress and I'm have this fancy car. Well, guess what? That night I got arrested and that car got towed or this photo where I'm at this party. Well, that night I was in the hospital and showing that people only show their best photos. And even me as like a super transparent, open truth teller, there are certainly things I'm not going to post on social media. So you're only seeing the most of the good from mostly everybody and everybody has got some battle that they're, they're dealing with always. And, and just to give grace to yourself and everyone else, that even if something looks perfect on the outside, there's something, there's something going on for that person, whether it's insecurity, whether it's a, a difficult child, a, a marriage that's falling apart, who knows, it could be a million things, but everybody's dealing with something. Right. We've all got our, our bags of, of baggage, right? <laughs> Whatever's in our baggage. Some people have, you know, a matching set of Louis Vuitton. Other people have a knapsack. You know, it's di different levels of stuff that, that people are dealing with. But we're all dealing with something that's true. And I wanted to ask you, too, while we still had a couple of minutes, that in in your experience, I mean, you, you dealt with several different addictive behaviors, in, including an eating disorder that a lot of women deal with um, and personal relationships, you know, as well as alcohol. I mean, when you talk to women as a recovery coach, do you often find that it's several things like that that people are, are dealing with or they replace one with the other? Because you have dealt with more than one um, addictive situation or, or destructive or damaging behavior, you know, including an eating disorder, um, you know, dealing with relationships. Do you find that in the women that you coach, that it's usually more than one um, addictive behavior or situation that's happening or a combination? Yes. Yes, I do. And, and because usually, again, the drinking isn't the issue. It's why you're drinking or the dieting isn't the issue. It's why you're dieting or the relationship, the codependency. It's, it's the control at the, the heart of it, or it's the, it's whatever feeling or belief about yourself usually is at the heart of it. And so generally women have gone through that I've, that I've worked with have gone through a couple of, of things like they maybe had an eating disorder in college and now they have a, um, you know, they drink too much wine or, or whatever it is. Um, but it generally, it is, um, it's just a, one of my friends and fellow coaches says, you know, it's just a different color shirt you put on that day. Um, so, so it usually is a, a couple of different things. Right. And then one sometimes can trigger another, you know, if it's more than, if it's more than one thing that, mm -hmm. that can be challenging, you know, for sure. Yes. If you're dealing with someone with more than, you know, more than one, more than one situation. So we've got about five minutes left. It's been so great to talk with you this hour about your experience and what you're doing to help moms and women in general now you've been sober since 2017 and you had relapses before what at, at the point when you were able to get to this point where you're a couple of years in in sobriety what what do you think is that that switch that clicks that that makes something stick for me it was the honesty piece because anytime i tried to quit prior um i didn't tell uh, sometimes I wouldn't tell anybody and I definitely wouldn't tell everybody. I would always leave myself those safe people who I would go back to drinking to because I, I think in my heart knew that it wasn't permanent and I, I didn't ever want it to be permanent. I thought that, again, I, I, was, I was one of those people I didn't think there was a way you could live without alcohol. I was always waiting for that next party or that next trip or how am I going to get through that so I better wait until after that. 
Um, and, and so for me, I knew if I'm going to do this, I have got to tell everybody I know. I know. And, and I don't think everyone needs to do that. But for me, I knew that the dishonesty did not work. I knew that hiding did not work. I knew that secrets did not work. So it was all about being accountable to everybody and being transparent. So for me, it was just the honesty piece. Right. That's so important. Now, anyone who's listening right now, any woman out there who knows that she has a problem or is afraid to take the first step, doesn't want to do it. What would you say to that person right now? I would say it's okay to question something and and that it's not your fault. It's not your fault for questioning the use of a addictive substance. Okay. Like you're not the crazy one. Uh, even if you, all your friends do it and everyone around you in society, you're not, you're not crazy for questioning it. And it also doesn't mean forever you know, you can reach out, ask questions, heck, send me an email. Um, you know, you can go to the Substance um, SAMHSA website and you can ask questions. You can go to an AA meeting, go to a virtual AA meeting. Nothing is permanent. You can just go find out more. And so I, I do think that that's the, the worry for a lot of people is once I question this, I have to be done. And that's not necessarily the case. It's, it's always okay to question the use of a drug. Right. And the effect that it's having on you and the effect it's having on your life and your family, what's what's going on. And just tell people, though, how how great. I mean, did you think that you're you'd be doing what you're doing now for a living and how your life has changed and how great things can be like there is hope. Right. I mean, I think people don't realize that they can change and you can be happy. You don't have to live with this kind of gray fog over your head every day. Yeah. And it's, it's funny if you would have asked me five years ago or told me that I would a have a book where I shared all my secrets and be, be recover, be coaching people to get sober. I would have told you, you are absolutely insane. Uh, but here we are. Um, because I, I, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now because I just believe in it so much. And, and I don't think that alcohol needs to be illegal. I don't think everyone needs to be sober. You know, that's not my platform, but I do believe that anybody can benefit from quitting or reducing drinking. And I think that, um, you know, it's, it's really important to talk about. Absolutely. Well, it's been so great to talk with you and to help share your message out there a little bit. Emily Paulson is available on Instagram. She's online. You can check out her website, which has all kinds of amazing information. Just go to Highlight Real Life. That's Highlight, R-E-A-L Life.com. And just check out what Emily is all about. She has a, a really cool message and really wants to help. And thanks so much for spending this time with me here today on Unity Online Radio. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.